So everyone, thank you. The sound guys just did that because you won't sit down and, uh, and quit visiting. We may need some more chairs, ushers. We may need some more. Maybe you could slide in if there's some empty seats next to you. Um, got a got a full crowd on a Memorial Day weekend, don't we? Yeah. There we go. Every once in a while in worship, we uh, I just get a little too enthusiastic, and I just kind of blow my voice singing, and uh, I think I did that again today. <clears throat> 1968, Summer Olympics, Mexico City, marathon runner, Stephen Akwari from Tanzania was running the marathon, and he injured himself. And he didn't quit. He just kept running. He just kept walking. He just kept stumbling. And he, at the end of the evening, the stadium was empty, the place was dark, but he finished the race. And after he finished the race, the reporters came to him and they said, why did you... Why did you not quit? Why did you not stop? I mean, you obviously you were in pain. You drug yourself across the finish line. Why did you do that? And he said these words. He said, my country did not send me 5,000 miles to run a race. My nation sent me 5,000 miles to finish a race. Yeah. And that's what we're talking about this morning with Philippians chapter 4. This is a letter from Paul to his dear friends in Philippi. Uh, this is uh, his, his, his last letter to them, and he doesn't know if he's going to be executed. He doesn't know if he's going to die. Uh, he wants them to finish the race strong. He's used that metaphor in, in chapter 3. Uh, he's explained to them how you have to keep pressing, keep going, don't lose track of, of where you're headed, of what the Lord's doing. And this morning, we're wrapping up Philippians. We're looking at the last part of of chapter 4, and, and uh, we're, we are the title of this is The Right Stuff, because we're talking about what is the right stuff that you need to finish strong. And he finishes his letter to these dear friends with some encouragement of what to do, uh, how to do the right things. What are the most important things? What are the things that you just have to get, you just have to get these right? And last week we talked about right relationships, how we need to be right in our relationships, and we need things to be right between us, and reconciliation needs to happen. We talked about right praying, about not being people of worry, not being people who are controlled by uh, circumstances or situations or, or anxiety, but being people of prayer. And when we go to the Lord in prayer, that He will, he will rescue us, He will be there, He'll be with us, uh, he, will, he will walk with us, and His peace is what rescues us. Even if the situation around us doesn't change, we change because of the presence and the peace of God that is with us. And we don't have to live lives of worry. We don't have to live lives of being anxious. Anxious means to, to, to be pulled in two directions. And, and when we're walking in fear, when we're walking in anxiety, that's what's happening uh, between what we hope is going to happen and what we fear is going to happen. And we become unstable. Uh, we become um, unsure, unconfident of what the Lord's going to do. And he's saying, you don't have to live life that way. But the secret, he said, is found in the presence of God. As Heather mentioned, just waiting on the Lord, being still in His presence, being with Jesus. 
And in being with us and, in, and, and, and encouraging us and, and helping us, according to a, a university study, these are the things that, things that people worry about. 40% of things that people worry about never happen. Is it, that's refreshing, isn't it, right? So 40% isn't going to happen. 30% of what we tend to worry about are things that have already happened in the past. 12% are needless worries about our health. Uh, you know, when you cough or when you... You know, oh no, what was that kind of thing? You know, I remember when, when Heather was going and she was in nursing school, right? Like they would be studying all these things and she thought she had every single one of them. You know, it was, I think there's a syndrome for that. But, oh, I think, oh, no, I have this one too. And so 12% of what we worry, would worry about, there's no even, even reason for that. 10% are petty issues. And the survey said 8, 8% are things you actually should worry about. Okay, so... That's a university uh, study, not, not Scripture, which says don't worry about anything, but trust the Lord in everything. But according to even secular studies, 92% of what people worry about is not even valid. It's, it's useless. It's just useless activity. What we want to do is we want to take our hearts and our minds to the Lord and take it to Him in, in prayer, as the old hymn goes. I, I, think, of, I think the peace of, peace of God is like this. I think, I think it's like the TSA agent when you're flying at the airport, right? So you're, you're, about to, you're about to go through security, and what do they do? They check you to see if there's anything in you or on you that is, that's gonna be, that, that is not supposed to go beyond that point. And what do they make you? If you want to go further, you have to take those things off, right? You have to get rid of them because they're not allowed past that point. You, they, they serve no purpose. You can't have them there. And so that's like what the peace of God does is arrest us, and it says, it says Jay, that, that worry, that concern you have, that's going to hold you back from what I have intended. You, gotta, you just have to take that off. Just give it to me. Just turn it over and move forward without it. And, and that's, what, that's what happens in the presence of the Lord. That's what the presence and the peace of the Lord does. So we have right relationships. We have right praying. And this morning we're going to talk about two, three things. We're going to talk about right thinking. And we're going to talk about right contentment. And we're going to talk about right resources. Now, what I've done is I've taken the last part of chapter 4, and I have put an artificial outline over it. If, I hope that makes sense. Like, when, how many of you know when you're writing a thank you letter, um, you, when you write that, you don't really think that people later would come along and would dissect that into points, right? I mean, you're simply writing a letter, okay? That's what Paul, he was writing a letter, but to put it into kind of bite-sized portions, what preachers like like me do, is we go in and we kind of try to outline it and organize it. But please know that was not how it was written. Okay, so it's artificial what I'm trying to do to it. And so the flow, um, I've made it into three points, but it's really not three, three points. It's a flow of thought. It's a flow out of the heart from the Apostle Paul to his friends. And, and in verse 8, he, we're going to be talking about right thinking. In verse 8, he says this. He goes, and finally, he's starting to wrap his letter up. He goes, finally, my brothers and sisters, he says, whatever is true, whatever's noble, whatever's right, whatever's pure, whatever's lovely, whatever's admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Think about such things that this word right here, if anything, it's like a fork in the road. Right? What did Yogi Berra say about forks in the road? Right? When you come to it, you take it, right? And so it's like a fork in the road. That's how our thoughts are. Is that, is that 
when we have these thoughts that come, psychologists say we have 10,000 thoughts a day. Wow. 10,000 thoughts a day that have to be filtered in our hearts and in our minds. 10,000 thoughts a day. So this, if anything, is this separating point that if it's true, if it's noble, if it's right, if it's pure, if it's lovely, if it's admirable, if it's excellent, if it's praiseworthy, think on these things. And if it's not, we, 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 we don't think about those things. Oh, I want to show you guys something. Jacob, will you bring me that white tub? And so, I want to show you guys something here. So, what I have here is, is I have a jar, and in this jar is sand, clay sand, and macaroni noodles, okay? And so, I have clay sand and macaroni noodles. And so, what these represent are the thoughts that we have every day, 10,000 thoughts that we have every day. And the macaroni is what is pure, what is lovely, what is honorable, what is excellent, what is praiseworthy, what is true. And the sand is all the, all the other thoughts that we have that are not all of those things. How many know not all of our thoughts are our own? Okay, The enemy can plant these seeds or plant these thoughts in our minds, in our hearts. That was, that was, a, it was a world of change for me when I realized that just because I had a thought didn't mean it was my own. I was like, whoa. I mean, that was revelation to me. And, and as I began to understand that, and, and, and that's how it is. And so this right here, this screen, functions like the Word of God in our lives, like the peace of God, the presence of God, the Word of God, and that it acts as a filter. And so when we're going through our day, right, we have all these thoughts. Is it true? Is it praiseworthy? Is it lovely? Is it admirable? Is it what the and we have to constantly every day in our life have this sifting that is going on because how many know we're just bombarded, aren't we? Thought after thought after thought after thought. I know when Heather and I were walking through her as we've been walking through her physical challenge that you have to think about what's true, right? Because if you think about what ifs, I mean, where do what ifs get you? I mean, they're dead ends. And all the, out of this sand right here, they're what ifs. Well, what if this happens? Well, what if this happens? Well, well what if this happens? And, and I'm telling you, that's not true. It's not lovely. It's not admirable. And so what we have to constantly be doing is sifting the 10,000 thoughts that come into our heart and lives every day. And then when we do that, we're left with what's good, with what's honorable, with what's pleasing. And they're like seeds that are planted in our heart, in the soil of our heart. And they take root. And they bear fruit. And so what bears fruit in our, what ultimately ends up bearing fruit in our life is what we think about. It's what we ponder about. It's what we speak out of our mouth based on our, our, what's in our heart. And this is what ends up giving the seeds that instantly becomes the fruit of our life. And if we take every thought just as it is, then it's, there's a bunch of sand left. And how I many you know we want to be macaroni, not sand, right? Amen. Here you go, Jacob. Thank you.
The interesting verse is 2 Corinthians chapter 3, or chapter 10, 3 and 5. I'll read it. It's not up on the screen. You're, you're familiar with it. You'll be familiar with verse, with, uh, with verse 5 for sure. It's talking about warring, warring in this war that we're in. And it says, though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses. We are destroying speculations and lofty things raised up against the knowledge of God. And here's the key verse. And we are taking every thought captive to the obedience of And so often when I've thought about that verse, I've thought about that verse in context of what it would be like for that illustration that I just used of taking every thought in a captive and arresting every one of those thoughts. And and what I've realized through more study and just really looking at this verse by itself and what it says and not imposing my previous thoughts on it is that the context here, he was actually talking about in the letter to the people of Corinth, philosophies, arguments, ideas, worldviews, beliefs that are contrary to who God is and what He's all about. And what He's saying is, is that the truth of who the Lord is, the truth of the writings of Paul about Jesus, about what Christ has provided, is destroying those thoughts. It's destroying those bondages, those, those strongholds. And so as I read that, I applied it to my own life, and I said, Lord, as I read Your Word, as I read what Paul has written, as I read what other... Uh, writers of the, of the Bible have written, Lord, let it take captive thoughts in my heart and my mind that are contrary to who you are, God. That, and we would think, oh, we don't have any of those. You know, I think we probably do. Understandings about God that are not true. That we've projected things on God that are not who He is. Ways that He works that He really doesn't work. And so my prayer is, Lord, Destroy those fortresses in my life. Destroy those thoughts, those philosophies, those worldviews, those images, these thoughts that I have that are not of you, God. Break those in in my life. And then I I love verse 9. He says, The things which you have learned and received and heard and saw in me, these do, and the God of peace will be with you. Remember, we're talking about right thinking. Learned, received, heard, and saw that they took in what Paul was teaching them. It wasn't mental assent. It wasn't just, yeah, I'm kind of here, but I'm not really here. I mean, they, they, they learned. They received. They brought into their person what Paul was teaching. They heard him. They saw his life, the way he lived. It was all of these things. And I, I, that brings up two thoughts in my life. One is I want to be the kind of person who... who he, Who's, who learns, who receives, who hears, who sees from others and receive and incorporate that into my life so that the God of peace will be with me to emulate others. But I also want to be the kind of person who others can learn from me. Others can receive from me. Others can hear from me. Others can watch me. And I'm living the kind of life that if they emulate, God will show up in them. Anybody else want to be like that? I want to be both of those. I want to be receiving of that, and I want to be giving of that because the God of peace will be with us, and the peace of God will be with us. Colossians 3.15 says, Let the peace of God rule in your hearts. The peace of God rule in your hearts. 
The, the idea here, the, the word that we could use for rule could be, could be like the word we would use for umpire. Okay, he's calling balls and strikes. That's what the peace of God does in our life. It's like that umpire behind, behind home plate. That's a ball. That's a strike. And isn't it true that when we're walking in the presence and the peace of the Lord and we're in His Word and we're walking in fellowship with Him, that there's something inside of us concerning the peace of God that we know when things are right and when they're not, don't we? That we have a witness, so to speak. And we have a, a feeling of, oh yeah, this is of the Lord. And other, just the sensings of, of losing that peace of, oh, this isn't. This isn't of the Lord. And that, that's what it's talking about. To let the peace of God, let that be a guider in our hearts. But we have to be still enough to walk with Him in that. Which brings us to verse 10. Right contentment. Right contentment. I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. So, so these next, this, the rest of this chapter, like 10 through 20 here, I've divided it into two sections, but really it's just one, honestly. It's really, it's just one section. And he is, he's starting to talk about money, okay? And, and he understands like, like, like most pastors do, like true pastors, true shepherds, that if you start talking to people about money, it can get awkward. And he starts talking about this. And so you'll see him thank them for the gift, but then he'll kind of qualify it because he knows that there's been many, and it's true, it's true today that there's many that preach the gospel, there's many that are involved in stuff in the name of Jesus that are, that are in it for what they can get out of it. But we know Paul wasn't one of those. He wasn't one of those men that, were, that was doing that. But yet he begins to talk about this. And so it's, it's, it, this is really fascinating what, what occurs here. Uh, he goes, he says, I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at, la- that at last you renewed your concern for me. Meaning that they had always been concerned. There had been previous concern, but they had the opportunity now to, to renew that. He goes, indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. He was like, I, I know that. He's like, I know your heart is for me. I, I know you're with me in this, my friends in Philippi. And I, I know what it is. And he goes, and I'm rejoicing the Lord that you're able to, to once again partner in that. He goes, I'm not saying this because I am in need. So he's like, hey, I'm so appreciative. And this was a thank you gift for offerings and support, this giving and receiving between Paul and the church at Philippi. He's like, I'm so thankful to receive this. He goes, but I'm not thanking you so I can get more, right? He's like, I'm not trying to work an angle here. I'm, I'm really not. I'm really thankful, but, but know that, that I'm not saying this because I'm in need. I'm not telling you this because I want you to do more. I'm saying this because I really am thankful for what you've done. He goes, I'm not saying this because I'm in need, for I have learned. I've learned to be content. I mean, you know, learning, I mean, being content, you're not born content, right? <laughs> like, Contentment has to be learned. And I think as Americans, uh, one of our ideals is the pursuit of happiness, right? This elusive pursuit of happiness. That learning to be content is a process. It's like algebra, right? You got to work out the long math, right? You got to work it out. You got to learn it. I have learned to be content, whatever the circumstances. Whatever's going on, that my contentment, my, 
The word content here is, is the root of it is contained. That, that all that I have is all that I all I have is all that I need. That that I'm satisfied, so to speak. I'm contained, I'm content. No matter the circumstances, no matter my contentment, Paul's saying, is not based on what's going on on the external. My contentment is based on what is going on inside of me in Jesus. Whatever the circumstances, he goes, I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I mean, you know the proverbial saying, it's either feast or famine, right? It's like one, it seems like it can be one or the other. He's like, I've experienced both of those. This word need here in verse 11 or verse 12, I know what it is to be in need. It's an interesting word. What it actually means is humiliation. I know what it is to be humiliated. Have you ever, have you ever been in such a position that you actually felt humiliated? Maybe it was the clothes that you had to wear. You felt humiliation. The car you had to drive. Maybe the house you lived in. Maybe the job you had. Maybe you had to declare bankruptcy. Maybe you lost a job. Whatever it might be, that you just you felt humiliation because of your situation. Paul says, I've been there. I've been there. He goes, but I'm still content. Because my identity is not what's going on on the outside. My identity is who I am in Jesus. We see that a few verses later. It doesn't matter. My, 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 my self-confidence, or confidence in Him, in me, the way I view myself, all and he's, it had to be learned. But in spite of humiliation, I mean, he's writing from prison, okay? In spite of this, I'm content. And in plenty, I'm content. Because that's another test. Because when you have extra, when you have plenty, when you have excess, is your identity found in that? Well, look at me now. Look where I've arrived. Look at what I got, right? A few weeks ago, Heather's car was in the shop getting repaired, and, and it was an insurance. Uh, there, somebody had hit her car, and so the insurance was, was covering a rental car while it was in the shop. And as I did that, there's there's no difference in the cost at all. You know how it is when you get to the rental store, they're like, it's the same price either way, but which vehicle would you like to have? It was that kind of thing. And it was between, a, I think, a Nissan Sentra or a 2017 F-150 crew cab four-wheel drive. Red, red, brand new, right? I said, let me pray about it. No, no. Not really. So I got in, and Heather, when she saw me get in that truck, she was just like, oh, no. Oh, no. And I have to be honest, like I sat up a little straighter. You know what I'm saying? There's a little pep to my step, you know? Shouldn't be. What's going on? It shouldn't, shouldn't be, right? But we're content, no matter what the circumstance, no matter whether it's humiliation or exaltation. It doesn't, that's not where it's at. He goes, I've learned the secret of being content. That word learn there is different than the word learn in 11. In verse 12, it means an initiation. It was actually used of pagan 
cultures of that day, pagan religions, where they would have secret initiation rituals into their false religion. But here he uses this word because they would have understood what that meant, that, that he goes, I've been initiated into the secret of being content. It's a mystery. It's something supernatural, and it's an initiation. It's a process that occurs in our lives to understand this. In any and every situation, oh Lord, let us be like Paul. Whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want, verse 13, I can do all of this through Him who gives me strength. Through Him who gives me strength. This, I've been in athletics like all my life, right? And this verse right here, I have to confess, is one of the most misused verses ever. And, and athletes, I'm one of them, I've coached, I've played on many different levels, and like we've so misused this. We're like, we can do anything in Jesus. I can get this touchdown in Jesus. Hallelujah. You know, I can, I can make this thing happen. Whatever how hard the difficulty is, I can... I can do all things through Him which gives me strength. And there's an aspect that we can persevere. We can. We can persevere because we are who we are in Jesus. But what he's really saying is he is challenging um, stoicism. The stoic philosophy of self-sufficiency. And let me just say that we here in the Ozarks, we're pretty close to that same philosophy. That it is an honor to be self-sufficient. I bet I could get some amens if I tried. That, that if, that if we, that I, you know, we should be in a place, we should be the kind of people we don't need help from anybody else. I, thanks, but I don't need your charity. We, you hear stuff like that in the ozone. This pride of, I got this. I can do this on my own. I don't need you. I am self-sufficient. I am self-reliant. I can do this. Does that, does that sound like, like our culture? It does, doesn't it? That's, that's part of like who we are as people of the Ozarks, right? I mean, hard-working, self-sufficient people. There's a temptation in that, friends. There's a temptation that I can take care of myself, that I can do this, I, 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 that I am sustaining myself, that I can make this happen. And Paul hits this directly head on. He goes, I can do this. I can be content. I can be thankful. I can be a person of prayer. I can think right. I can be in right relationship. I can do all of this because, and the Greek would say, because my sufficiency is found in Christ. My sufficiency is found in Christ. That my sufficiency is not in me. My sufficiency is not what I can do. My sufficiency is not in the resources I have. My contentment is not based in myself. My happiness is not based in myself. It being well with my soul is not based on me. He's saying everything is based upon Jesus. That my sufficiency is found in Him. My contentment is found in Him. Chapter 2, for me to live is Christ. To live is Christ. That our sufficiency is found in Him. And so the Lord wants to shift our worldview. He wants to shift our philosophies, not of being self-sufficient, but being Christ-sufficient. That all we need, He is. All that we need, He has. And when we're in Him, when we're operating in Him, when we're contained in Him, that He is our sufficiency. The message says, I can make it through anything in the One who makes me who I am. 
The Phillips translation says, I am ready for anything through the strength of the One who lives in me. The Amplified says, I am sufficient in Christ's sufficiency. That we are hidden in Jesus. We're hidden in Him. We are hidden in Him. That there are these deep, these deep roots, these deep reservoirs of what is made available in Him. So yesterday we lost some trees, didn't we? There's some trees that got knocked over in our city. Why is that? Besides the fact there were hard winds, because not all trees fell over, some trees fell over. The one who's there's something wrong in their root system. There's something wrong in what they were tapped into. Their root system wasn't right. And so it is with us. We all face wind. We all face difficulty. We all face trial. We all face, we all face plenty and we all have need. We all face those. But the difference is, where's our sufficiency? Where's our resource? What are we really, really tapped into? To whom are we really? Is it ourselves? Is it what we can do? Is it outside things? Or is it in Christ Himself? Paul is saying the secret the secret of this is being in Jesus. The secret is finding this in Him. That He is our supply. Then finally, right resource. And again, this is a false um, like outline I'm putting on this. He, he would have went straight from 13. I mean, he would have said, I'm sufficient in Him. I'm sufficient in Christ. My sufficiency is found in Him. Yet, and because of, it was good of you to share in my troubles. So he's thanking them for a gift. He's thanking them for partnership of financially supporting him, of a partnership of, of, of living for the gospel, expanding the gospel, being a pastor, being a missionary, being an apostle, planting churches, pastoring churches, making disciples. Now he's suffering in prison. He's being persecuted. And he's saying, it was good of you to share in my troubles. How did they share in his troubles? By giving to him by investing in his ministry, by, by taking care of his need. He had a real need. He had needs, and they, they partnered with him. They, they helped him, and they shared in his trouble. Have you ever thought about that? That when we give to others, when we extend to others, that we're actually partnering in their trouble? Isn't that amazing? Isn't that, isn't that powerful? I feel like Paul here because I want to share something and, and it could be, could be misunderstood, okay? And Paul, like he's thinking them, he's like, now I'm not saying this, but, but I am saying this. And so I'm going I'm to say something and please don't, please don't read more into it than what I'm saying. But as Heather and I, our family has walked through this last four months of this journey of, of this health issue that she's been facing, as we've walked through this, there have been some, that it says right here, that are shared in our trouble. And, and again, I'm not like, please, I'm not accusing. I'm not, I'm not saying anything that I'm not saying. You know what I'm saying? Okay. I'm not saying anything that I'm not saying. But let me just say there's a difference between, hey, I love you, brother. Hey, I'm praying for you. Hey, if you need anything, let me know. As opposed to that and then, like, doing something. Does that make sense? And when somebody comes and cleans your house, I mean, they're sharing in your trouble. Like, there's a family here 
and I'm not, I'm not going to point them out or anything like that, but I know they don't have a lot of money, okay? I just know. I just, phase of life, just, but yet they sent Heather 20 bucks so she could do something for her. You know what I'm saying? Like that's partnering in trouble. And Paul is so appreciative because when we help each other, we enter into whatever suffering is going on with him. And it's so powerful that he gets it. He goes, it was good of you to share. You took some of my trouble upon you. And you relieved me of my trouble and you took some of my trouble. He's saying this. And it was so good. He goes, and he, what he's saying here is there's a spiritual, there's just this practical side of loving others. There's this practical side of meeting need that we are physical people, right? We're spiritual, but we're also physical people. And meeting need is not just spiritual. There's also this physical, just reality dimension to it. And he's like, it was good of you to share in my trouble. Moreover, as you Philippians know, in, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out for Macedonia, that's the region that Philippi is in. Not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, except you. It's like you guys were the only ones that were there for me. That's what, that's what he says. He goes, even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid more than once, and I was in need. He's thanking them. He's like, thank you guys so much. Thank you so much for what you did. And here he goes, okay? Here he goes qualifying himself again, just like I was doing a while ago. He goes, not that I desire your gift. He said, I'm not trying to get more out of you. He goes, I'm not saying that. And I'm not saying that about what I just said either. He goes, no, I'm not, I'm, I don't desire those. He goes, what I desire is that more be accredited to your account. Paul's saying, God's going to do something in your life. Because of your partnership with me, Paul says, God's going to do something in your life that, that has eternal value, that has eternal rewards, that is our account in heaven that God repays, that he, he sees to it. He goes, I've received full payment. i got more than enough. He said, I'm taking care of. He goes, you guys have been so good to me. I'm so taken care of. I'm amply supplied. Now that Epaphroditus has showed up with your gift, thank you, I am covered. I am taken care of. And he goes, this, this offering that you've given me, what you've done, it is a fragrant offering. It is acceptable and pleasing to God. And so now there's three in this equation there's paul there's the church at philippi and then there's god and there's this partnership this three-part equation that's going on that what we do for each other is spiritual what we do meeting tangible needs of each other as you guys minister to each other in the congregation to those in our community it's spiritual that there's god is in on this that god knows what is going on and what is happening. And it's acceptable. It's pleasing. It, it, it is good to God when His children take care of each other as they bless each other for the furtherance of the Gospel. And, and, and Paul, the needs... and see Philip, These folks in Philippi, they had need. Like, they, 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 weren't, they just didn't have a lot of excess. They had need. And yet, and yet God was... He was saying, God's going to take care of you. Verse 19, and my God will meet all of your needs. Well, I, Paul, I can't meet all of your needs because your needs are greater than I have, but we serve a God who will meet all of your needs according to His riches, a glory where? In Christ Jesus. That there is this supernatural 
transaction that goes on in the heavenlies that God meets our needs based upon who He is. Upon who He is. And then He just starts, he just starts shouting. To God, to our God and Father, be glory forever and ever and ever and ever. Amen. Amen. That there's this generosity that came just out of their life. That they, Paul was saying there's this give and take relationship. And Paul was saying, oh, if we can understand that our resources, just like our contentment is not found in ourselves, our resources are not found within ourselves. Our resources come from the Lord. He is the one who takes care of us. I rewrote that verse. You, you put my, my translation up there. This is my paraphrase of 18 and 19. Paul's saying, you met my need, God's going to meet your need. You met one need that I have, but my God will meet all of your needs. You gave out of your poverty, but God will supply your needs out of His riches and glory. How many know that's a good transaction, right? And this is for all of us. It's available to all of us. That's how Paul ends his letter. He ends his letter this way. And then he sends greetings from those that he's ministered to in Rome and even from Caesar's household. Right where he was, even in captivity, he was advancing the gospel and the cause of Christ. Would you bow your heads with me?